too sweet and a little spongy to the touch. Uh, yeah, yeah. I should have had a bigger breakfast. This mm-hmm. is killing me. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Well, welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I'm uh, I'm really excited today because I'm sitting here in my office, but I'm talking to uh, Lewis Rudd of Azell's Famous Chicken. And I love your food. That's not a, that's a shameless plug, but I, I used to go to the one in Tacoma a lot when I was living in Tacoma. So I, okay. I, this for me is exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy you're here. So thanks for making the time. Welcome. Well, thank you. Scott. And let me see what my first question to you is going to be. Okay. Well, you, you, you're originally from Texas, right? Yes. Born and bred. And you, and okay. So I was reading on your website. This is going to be a random weird question to start, but what is Texas style when it comes to food? What does that say? It says Texas style plates. What does that mean? Well, I think, you know, most people, when they think Texas style, it's that Southern feel and flavor where okay. most recipes and uh, meals were prepared when we were growing up in East Texas by the parents, the grandparents, and there was no recipe books. It was a okay. this, a dab of that, and it was always the foods that were prepared were raised on the premises. Okay. Go up there and grab me a chicken, you know, the hog, the you know, the the the, the meat was mm-hmm. processed and cured and prepared right there. So it's that good old Southern comfort food, okay, and uh, fresh, homemade, and it's just good old Southern. I think when people talk Texas made, that's what they're thinking about: good old Southern style okay. comfort food. All right. So, what brought you from Texas up to Washington? You like the rain? Actually, following my childhood friend. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, and uh, when you talk about Ezel's famous chicken, uh, the dream began with Ezel Stevens in a little small town in East Texas, Marshall, Texas. Okay. All right. Yeah, where we used to work for a man named Waylon Brown at a place called Brown's Fried Chicken. Okay. A buck an hour. Big wages. Big wages. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> The dream began to one day uh, have our own chicken place. And again, that was with Ezel. And uh, we were two of uh, Mr. Brown's key employees there. We took good care of his uh, product and uh, his uh, recipes and did well running the kitchen and the restaurants there. And when he decided he was going to expand, he took Ezel over to a little town in Atlanta, Texas, uh, to... uh, open up the second restaurant that he was going to expand. And then he would bring in this manager to run the place. And for the first time I saw a look on Ezell's face, I didn't understand. Why is that look on his face? If, you know, He just got a nice compliment because Mr. Brown said to Jesse, I think that was her name, if there's anything that come up, you don't know what to do, he pat Ezell on the back and said, this is your guy. Talk to okay. Ezell. And I saw a look on his face that was confusing for me because I didn't understand. It's just a nice compliment he just got, but then he had that look. And so I asked him later when they walked out, what was that look for? He says, well, if I know everything, why is she going to be in charge? That's okay. And he pat his chest. One day we have our own chicken place. Okay. That was the beginning of that vision. All right. And the dream. That would eventually become reality in Seattle some 20 years later. I mean, we were teenagers back then, 17, 16 years of age. And um, he would keep the dream alive. And uh, he would later go into the Coast Guard. And there was a saying when we were kids that Lewis will follow Ezell off the face of the earth. If Ezell walk off, Lewis will be right there behind him. You know, my nickname was Shadow at times because anytime you saw Ezell, you saw Lewis is what the... The the, the 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 sand was here come he's okay. in his shadow and um but when he went into the coast guard it was like no 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 i'm not going there 
I was afraid of all that water. I'm not going on the boat. You know? <laughs> the edge uh, of the you'll fall up to the edge of the earth, but not yeah, into the water. Got not it. To the water. No, no, okay. Not into the water. You know, we used to ride one bicycle up and down those back roads in Scottsville, Texas. That was our main source of transportation. We'd ride because we lived out in the rural part of uh, Marshall, eight miles outside the city limit. So to get uptown, you either have to hitchhike, walk. Uh, you know, we would ride a bicycle. I would pedal the bike on the flats. And when it started up hills, he would jump on the seat and he would start pedaling the bike up the hills. But either way, we, we were always right there together. But okay. when he went to the Coast Guard, a year later, I stayed and I would go into the Army. But we would continue the conversation, or he would, around one day having our own chicken place. And he would call and he'd ask questions and he and my sister Faye were childhood sweethearts okay and then uh his brother Samuel the four of us out of 17 kids and two families we were always close growing up as kids and we lived okay. right across the road from each other in this little town of Scottsville but um he would always uh talk about the chicken place and when he would call and uh want to talk with Faye or whatever call home while he was in the Coast Guard away. I think he was in uh, Alameda, California somewhere, but we would always ask, so how's the chicken place doing? Customers still coming in and out. And we <laughs> okay. used to cut the chicken with a circle of saw. And um, they came in whole body birds and we would take them out the box, flip them, and we would cut the chicken that we cooked in the kitchen. <laughs> So he would always ask about the uh, process for preparing the chicken. We made those fresh homemade rolls that um, William Brown had the recipe for back then. And um, that same fresh homemade roll that we've been doing it for 38 years out here. And again, it's that same flavor, that same roll that comes out the oven, put a little butter, a little honey in there. And this is one of the best treats you can ever have. But anyway, Absolutely. we about the rolls, the chicken and how's the business going and one day still having our own chicken place he would bring okay. that up one day and um eventually he would get out of the coast guard in uh seattle and at this time i was in germany and in the military in the army mm -hmm. so by the time i got out he had married my sister faye migrated to seattle to a well, one of my brothers had migrated out and another one of my sisters eventually followed, came out and okay. the migration started to Seattle. And by the time I got out, the first thing he did was drove me around talking about this would make a great chicken place. That would make a great chicken place. And well, let me let me let me interrupt you. Go right ahead. What were, what were the criteria? Why would he say that's a great chicken place? What was what was his criteria at the time? Well, one conversation that we had centered around uh, Seattle would be the place for the chicken place and he mm -hmm. would make the statement that they've got banks here like they have gas stations back home well in texas there was a gas station on every corner and one in the middle of the block everybody okay. owned gas stations back there right but he right. said out here in seattle there's banks like that there's banks on every corner which meant there was a lot of money to buy chicken with <laughs> no, that's that's I, I that seems very logical. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he said they didn't call it the Evergreen State for the trees. This all of the greenbacks out here that money. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. He he had a good field. So the the first location that ended up opening in the Central District across from Garfield High School was uh, one of the locations that while he was in the Coast Guard, he would cross that parking lot periodically and he would always say, man, this will make a great chicken place. Okay. When he was on his way downtown or just migrating through the city doing whatever, he would walk across that parking lot and it was an old boarded up building mm -hmm. most of the time and then there would be different um, businesses. It was a hamburger shop at one point. It was an ice cream place at one. Uh, there was a um, uh, fish uh, restaurant there uh, owner opened it up selling uh, fish but then uh, Ezell and Faye would eventually buy that building Okay, it was all boarded up and it took five years to get the financing to open that restaurant so much for a bank on every corner right you know and uh, during this time it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
heightened awareness and conversations going on around social inequities and mm -hmm. um, racism and social unrest. But anyway, you know, um, we face that. Ezell faced that when trying to get um, the financing to get that building open. It took five years, again, wow. to get the financing. And finally, it was an SBA direct loan, SBA guaranteed loan, direct loan to get the business up and running. And it was against all odds. And um, we were blessed. We were fortunate that we opened it up. And um, it was a huge success from day one. It was a Friday afternoon, February 3rd, 1984. They had an event going on across the street at the high school there, Garfield High School, called Bubbling Brown Sugar. Yep. And they had, uh, it was like a dance competition. So there were kids from schools all around, from Cleveland High School, Franklin High School, Rainier Beach, Garfield High School. So it was an opportunity to really introduce the product and the business to the broader community. And was that by design? Did you, did you guys have the opening day scheduled because you knew that event was going to happen? Is that when you said that's when we're going to open or was it just serendipitous? I just think the stars align, you know, okay. it just, when it was time, it was time. We had everything in place and it was just, you know, one of those blessings. And uh, it seemed like, you know, it, it was always, um, the right time and the right thing to do, you know, okay. doing that. And uh, so it was a, it was just a true blessing. And uh, it was a, in February, it was a sunny afternoon and uh, we did good sales and um, couldn't wait to go and see if the money in the, in the safe match what the, re, the uh, cash rates <laughs> receipt tape said, because it said that we did some good sales, good numbers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so we started out, it was a success from day one, you know, and uh, the community embraced us. And uh, to this day, we have, you know, the community to thank for all of the successes that we've been able to achieve to this point, because um, it was the schools, the churches, the, the hospitals, it was the um, youth centers around town. I mean, they all came in and rallied around us and, um, it was just a huge, huge community embracement, and uh, we just continued marching forward. And here we are again, 38 years later, and uh, much appreciation to the community that really embraced us, took us in, and uh, here we are. 38 years. That's you know, I was I was in college then in Ellensburg, in Central Washington. Okay. And I remember coming over. This might have been 86, 84. Some, you know, you'd been open for a little while and, okay. a, and a friend of mine said, you've got to go check this place out. And so we did. And it was like, wow, this is, this is, it's delicious. It really is. I, I want to know, I mean, you, you know, I, I, I warned you before I hit record, I was going to ask you for the secrets and it would be easy if you shared them, but yeah. the rolls, you guys, that's just, I know you're, I know you're chicken, but the rolls, I mean, what's, well, what's the story there? <laughs> It, a lot of a lot of people have you know uh, compared it to or likened it to um, Hawaiian bread because of the sweetness, right? Yeah, that's but it's, yeah. it's a fresh homemade yeast roll, and they're delicious. I think <laughs> the the most uh, important uh, aspect or the thing that gives it the greatest value when people come in and they love it so much is that it's Bake fresh daily. Each location mixes the bread dough, let it rise overnight. The next day, bake fresh daily, you know, and yeah. uh, it's nothing like some good, fresh, homemade vittles. And uh, those rolls are fresh and homemade every day. And I think, you know, the light and fluffiness, they got a little sweetness to them, but at the same time, you know, they're not too sweet and a little spongy to the touch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I should have had a bigger breakfast. This mm -hmm. is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> you know, you put a little butter, a little honey on there. And I'm telling you. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're amazing. What did you, what, when you guys first opened, let's compare and contrast that to like today. How was the menu back in 84 
versus what you what you're serving today? The basic menu is still there, and I may be four or five new menu items that's been added over the last okay. 38 years. I would say mac and cheese would be one of those. Okay. And um, what else would we have added over the years? Uh, barbecue baked beans. But it's pretty much the same menu. Much okay. The same menu. Why change a good thing, right? Why change it? You know, and we've had lots of people come in and ask, well, why don't you guys add this? Why don't you add that? No, if you want to get that, you need to go down the street. There's someone doing some great barbecue chicken. We tried okay. barbecue chicken sandwiches at one point, And, you know, we tried at some point to maybe take the uh, chicken that we don't sell on the day before and add some barbecue sauce to it. and stuff. But it wasn't the real deal. You know, it was just okay. us trying to uh, not uh, not have the waste, right? Gotcha. But not okay. really create a good menu item. And okay. uh, so we decided let's just stick to what we do best. And if we have leftover food, we find a homeless shelter or a food bank and let them deal with it. And, um, yeah. you know, that was a lot of times, too, when I uh, talk about the community embracing us and all and the youth centers around town. There was one called CAYA, the Central Area Youth Association, that we would take leftover chicken to. They would have activities going on late night. So when we would close, whether it was uh, basketball games or card games or they had productions facilities set up for music production, teaching kids how to engineer and produce music and stuff like that. We let them have the chicken after closing. Somebody would be standing right there hoping that we didn't sell it all. <laughs> 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 you know? So, yeah, and then there was a central area motivation program camp that was a block away from us that um, – they work with a lot of uh, youth in the neighborhood to provide programming and um, activities for that we would take the chicken to. But anyway, yeah, we said, that's, that's a better use of the product than us slapping a little sauce on it and trying to sell yeah. it. But anyway. I, I, I love it when businesses stay true to the, their, to the roots, if you will. You know, like, yeah. this is what we do great. We're just going to keep this what we do. And if you want something else, there's somebody over here that's doing that. Yes. And that's, I love that. Yeah, and so that's what we, we, and we've lived by that, you know, it's like, you don't fix something that's not broken. And if it's working well, why change it? And again, you know, let's be the best at who we are and do what we do best. So question I have is not, not in a, in a business scientific thing, but what's the most popular menu item? What do people order more of anything just off the top of your head? What do you think it is? Well, I've got stats to back it up today. It's okay. The chicken All right. tenders. We sell chicken more tenders. chicken tenders today than bone-in chicken or any other menu item. Does that surprise you? That surprised me. Uh, no. it Well, not today because, you know, it's been that way for some time now and I've watched it evolve. But, okay. you know, when we talk about the chicken tenders and as people have gone away – a move more towards that uh, health consciousness, right? Okay. And their eating habits. Mm-hmm. And um, that chicken tender that we provide, it's not the compressed meat. It's an actual chicken tenderloin from a breast piece. Okay. And um, it's pure protein. You know, it's mm-hmm. a good bang for the buck. It's a good value right. proposition. And that battering process that we use that seals in the natural chicken juices and locks out the oils, mm-hmm. man, you get that uh, tenderloin, I mean, the chicken tender, and it's just a healthy piece of protein. And okay. it's also easier to eat. You know, a lot of people get chicken to go. 80, right. 85% of the orders are to go. And a lot of people, wow. the chicken don't make it home, especially those tenders. They open the bag and, and they're popping tenders on the freeway. No, let me quit. Sorry, honey. I know I was supposed to do this, but they're gone. I got to go back. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, oh. it's, it's a good value proposition. Okay. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, you know, we're challenged with right now in terms of, with the supply chain shortages and all that that's going on right now, 
you know, it's uh, concerned with making sure that we can maintain the level of uh, volume that, you know, is being mandated or of course uh, in that, you know, fulfilling the demand. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a huge demand for those chicken tenders. So because of COVID and supply chain and all that is, but you just said 85% of your orders are to go. So were you impacted? I mean, everybody was impacted by COVID, but how was it once things kind of, once we realized it was going to be here for a while and, you know, we started adapting and mask mandates and all that, did, were your stores able to function fairly normally? You know, we are amongst the blessed and from the beginning of the pandemic to now, we've seen nothing but success in our operations. We've had okay. some challenges, of course, that we've had to make some adjustments and adapt to. However, from day one, we had a model that was pretty much built to deal with the kind of um, challenges that was presented by the pandemic when people were, you know, sheltering at home and not able to go out and dine out again. Well, 85% of our orders were to go from the beginning. And, mm -hmm. you know, another blessing was that we had partnered with um, a third-party delivery partner in DoorDash okay. a year or so before the pandemic hit. So we had built a following on that platform for delivery. And mm -hmm. all of our units were accustomed to that already. Okay. And from a packaging standpoint, because of... Uh, 85% of our orders were to go, we were already prepared from a packaging standpoint and had that in okay. place and was, you know, and our team members were good at that. And um, so when the pandemic hit and everything was pretty much now to go, mm -hmm. we were, I mean, we just kept doing what we did. Now we did take precautions. We followed guidelines to make sure that our team members were safe and would remain as safe as possible during those times. But in terms of impact on sales, while a lot of businesses were just struggling to survive, we were thriving during that time in sales and continue okay. to this day, you know, to see good numbers in terms of sales. Now, okay. um, when a lot of others were challenged with the labor shortages, we still have not had a huge negative impact in that area either. We've been okay. able to pretty much maintain a good percentage of staffing. We haven't had to alter our hours or days of opening. And, um, you know, I think when asked, what do you really attribute that to? I think it's the culture that we created from the very beginning. Okay. And um, it's a caring culture, you know, where people are there because they care more than anything else. They care about each other. They care about the guests. They care about the brand. They care about the quality. They care about, it's just a caring culture. Well, let's go back to 84 when you first opened. How many people were working when, when you opened the first location? How big was the team? Five of us. <laughs> Five people. So, and today, approximately? There's over 300 and close to 350 employees system-wide. Okay. That's this. Okay. Yeah. So it was so, just the brothers when we opened up and my sister, Faye. Okay. Yeah. So All right. um, it was Ezell Stevens, his brother, Samuel Stevens, and then my brother, Darnell Rudd, and then my sister, Faye. And uh, the four of us actually worked in the operations in the store and Faye always been the one behind the scenes, making sure that the navigation system is intact and calibrated so that the ship, you know, the plane don't <laughs> crash. But uh, yeah, the accounting uh, and uh, administrative side of it, I mean, she's been the anchor. Okay. Let, so let, let me, Alan, how do I want to ask this? How do you, how was it that you guys were found by the Sonics and the Seahawks players? I mean, what, what happened? Do you, do you remember the first time a, 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 an athlete that you recognized walked in? Yes. Um, so the Seahawks, I think were the first 
okay. uh, of the professional athletes that uh, started coming there. So I remember Mark Abrams, who actually was selling insurance at the time. I think he was in the insurance business. Introduced okay. us to a couple of the uh, players. And I'm trying to remember the marketing director's name now. Forgive me. I can't call his name now. That's, that's okay. But, uh, that led to players coming over to the restaurant. I still remember Tony Woods uh, <laughs> sitting in the lobby there. Uh, the Warrior sitting in the lobby eating chicken, which led to us taking 110 box lunches. I used to drive out to the SeaTac Airport when the Seahawks had their plane, the Hawk 1, and I put 110 box lunches on the plane before they would take off for all of their away games. So that was um, a ritual. <laughs> that was a regular. 110 box lunches. 110 box lunches for the uh, players, the staff, oh. the coaches, the pilots. Everybody got a box lunch. And um, nice. Yeah, Reggie McKenzie back then was in charge of ordering uh, the chicken for the plane. And. Uh, <laughs> I would drive out to the airport and did that for three years. And uh, from there, we start taking it over to the uh, camp when they had the camp in Kirkland. In Kirkland. Okay. Uh -huh, back then. And uh, Coach Knox was the coach back then. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Take the chicken over there. And they had a uh, table set up outside the locker room. They didn't have a real fancy cafeteria like they have today over at the BMAC. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, the Sonics organization, these elves just became a, a, a household name around the community there. And um, we would have different ones coming in and out of there. And we would actually cater for the visiting teams when the Sonics would have visiting teams coming in. They would call us up and we'd take um, box lunches down. I can remember taking uh, box lunches for the Sonics plane one Christmas day. It was snowing. They were flying oh away for an away game and uh, taking uh, chicken down to the Galvin Center on Airport Way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I had to think there for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Galvin, yeah. And uh, they had, it, it was a, a club, the Max or something like that. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was uh, a club that the players used to hang around inside before they would go and get on the plane. Okay. Right off airport way down there. And um, I would take uh, enough box lunches for the players and staff. And when Nate Robinson was with the New York team, Nick, uh -huh. his mom was in town here. And Nate said, I want Ezell's on the plane for my meals. And so when the Knicks flew to town, <laughs> the, the staff or whoever for the plane, somebody in New York had other plans. But Nate said, no, I want Ezell's on the plane. So I met that's, that's his mom down at the plane, and we took Ezell's chicken, had box lunches for Ezell's on the plane. That was an experience awesome. there. <laughs> that's, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you guys are very famous for is Oprah. How I read about it, but how did that happen? <laughs> What 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 happened there? It's hard to talk about Ezell's and not yeah <laughs> about the time when Oprah came to town and she was doing a kids program with King Five. Okay, and um, she was working with the production crew, and uh, one of the gentlemen who, believe it or not, I always told the story that that was a member of the production crew that introduced Oprah to Ezell's chicken, but I never knew okay. who that person was. Okay. But uh, all these years later, I knew that that's how she was introduced by one of the production crew. Well, last year on a conference call, well, not a conference, it was one of those Zoom meetings with University of Washington. He was in okay. one of the chat rooms and introduced himself. Oh, really? It was me that brought Oprah me. over to get the chicken after one of the uh, production rounds. I said, man, all these years later, I finally get to meet you. But anyway, yeah, so 
she called up and she wanted to have the chicken delivered to her hotel because she enjoyed the chicken so much. And uh-huh. when she dialed up, David Jones at the time was working as our dispatch for, at this time we had what we called the Ezel's Express Delivery Service, where we would deliver box lunches to corporate offices downtown Monday through Friday. Okay. And this happened to be Saturday. And David answers the phone and it was an assistant traveling with Oprah and said, we'd like to have some chicken delivered downtown to the hotel that she was at. And David said, I'm sorry, we don't deliver on Saturday. Well, the young lady repeated what David said, say, so you guys don't deliver on Saturday? And he could hear a voice in the background say, give me that phone. And the next thing was, this is Oprah Winfrey. And I like some of that chicken and I'd like to have it delivered now, please. <laughs> and he said, well, how do I know that this is Oprah? She said, well, you bring the chicken down, you'll see. He did and he saw. It was Oprah Winfrey. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, she enjoyed the chicken so much that she wanted to have it again. And uh, then, <laughs> you know, this was during the time when she had um, run the marathon. She lost a lot of weight. She was on this diet. And she gave up a lot of her favorite foods and dishes that she would, uh, you know, enjoy so that she could run this marathon. And she lost a lot. So her business manager at the time, Beverly, called up. And she wanted to bring in all of Oprah's favorite things. Okay. And Ezell's was one of those favorite things that she wanted to have at her birthday party. And we were blessed in that way that instead of shipping the food out, we delivered the chicken back to Chicago. And um, we actually sourced it. We we, We took back the seasoning and other items on the plane with us instead of luggage. (laughs) (laughs) We had the menu, but anyway, we get back there and source the product and we were able to utilize one of the kitchens in a restaurant back there. And um, at that time, Oprah had ownership in this restaurant called the Eccentrics. And we went and uh, they allowed us to utilize their kitchen to cut up the product the way that we cut the chicken like we used to do back in Texas at Browns. We cut it up into the eight pieces. We marinated it and seasoned it. And the next day we delivered enough chicken over to Harpo Studios for 75 people. And uh, it was a huge, huge opportunity and experience of a lifetime to uh, sit backstage or in the green room when Oprah comes off the set and first thing, where is my chicken at? <laughs> and, uh, we put sweet potato pie back there. I mean, and uh, but she oh, autographed man. the picture and sent it up and she didn't know, she thanked us for coming back and didn't know if she liked the sweet potato pie or the spicy chicken best. But uh, yeah, what an experience. What an experience. So I was talking to a friend of mine uh, in the Seattle area, and somehow she was involved with finding food for some event, and they were going to do fried chicken, and, and Azelle's chicken was one of the chickens, and I think that was the one they selected, but I, I can't say that for 100% certainty, but I think it was. But she made a comment, and I'm just curious. Do you, is the chicken cut differently than other chicken places? Am I... Did I just, I just eat it. I don't pay attention. So do you guys cut the chicken differently than other places? We do have a special cut and a spell that's somewhat different than most others out there. And, you know, for example, there's one chicken purveyor who has large numbers of units across the country and abroad. They cut theirs into nine pieces. Okay. And they start with a smaller bird. Okay. We use a larger bird to begin with, and I'm giving you some behind the scenes stuff here now, right? All right. But, uh, <laughs> so we use our specs are three and a half to three and three quarters. Pounds. And we cut it pounds. And okay. we cut ours into eight pieces. So we have two side breasts, two wings, two legs, two thighs. Okay. They use a smaller bird to begin with, specs somewhere around three and less. And I was just three and a half and up. And they cut theirs into nine pieces. Right. So they have 
a center breast and two side breasts. Okay. So a lot of times uh, people would come in and they like to compare from a price standpoint. If I can get this many pieces there for less. Yes, but you're getting less meat. You're getting less product also. Okay. Right. And so when you compare apples to apples, so yes, we do have a special cut. We leave more meat on our wings also. And sometimes, you know, we'll have guests that will come in and they say, I want to get four wings. Well, they're used to getting four wings somewhere else where it's not a lot of the breast meat left on the wing because of the cut. And they can eat four wings. And they also pay less for four wings. So when they get the price, it's a sticker shock sometimes. And then Mm -hmm. they come back and they go, wow, I don't need two of your wings this time. Now I get it. Okay. Right? So there is a difference in the cut. And uh, there's some similarities with some of the other ones that, you know, the uh, specs from a size standpoint are closer to ours. And the cut where they may leave less meat on the wing, they have what they call a silver dollar cut. So that's just a little thin piece of the breast meat left on the wing. Ours is a chunk of meat from the breast left on the wing. Okay. So there is a difference. And um, we've had some challenges in being able to source that because it's a special cut. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're no, are you, are, are you guys using a circular saw still to cut or have we, have we modernized? Well, for the last, I guess, few years, we haven't found the circular saw. <laughs> no, we've had to move away from that. And with the demand and um, the volume that we go through now, and yes, you know, we've been fortunate that we partnered with um, Acme Poultry for the last, from the beginning. You know, okay. local um, company here that used to have their own farms where they raised their products and they had the production facility as well as distribution. Now they just do distribution. And Tom there has been a great partner and he's been able to keep finding that source for us that can provide our special cut and keep okay. us the volume that we need. But yeah. Okay. But we got a circle saw in the warehouse that if it comes right down to it, <laughs> we're not going to run out of chicken. We're not going to run out of chicken. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. When you said you, back in Texas, you were cutting with a circular yeah. saw. My, I think my eyes got real. I'm like, what? Right. I, uh, wow. Let's talk about what you do, your company does for the community. Because you guys are very active in giving back to the community. I think you pride yourselves in being good community members. I don't think that I know that. I shouldn't say it like that. How did, from the very beginning, where are you at today? What's what's going on? What are you guys doing that you're, you want to talk about? Well, you know, um, today there's a huge level of uh, awareness around social inequities and systemic racism and redlining and the impacts that those conditions and situations have had on uh, people of color and in the black community and small businesses. And so, you know, one of the things that we've always taken pride in is being good community partners and giving back to the community and understanding what it's like growing up in the black community and growing up facing racism. And again, growing up in a little small town in East Texas where I lived through it, the signs, Mm -hmm. no colors allowed and ends round back. You know, you walk up and the sign is in your window, in the window in your face. And this, the discriminatory practices and the blatant in-your-face racism that existed. And, you know, coming out to Seattle in the Northwest, it was still here and apparent, not as in-your-face. You know, we called it camouflage racism when we moved out here. And that was a word that 
you know, we used because it was not blatant in your face. It was more subtle and it was more systemic and systematic as opposed to just an individual in your face. So understanding that and some of the challenges, you know, that um, the black community and black people face, we through the business, again, the culture that we created, this caring culture that we talk about today, began with giving opportunities to a lot of kids and youth in the community, their first job, where some would come in and they would say, you know, I'll come and work for you guys, but I'm not going to work for McDonald's. You know, it was a pride okay. thing. So we understood that. But also understanding how the community embraced us and giving back to the community was just important to us. And it was just part of who we are and who we were at the time. So we mm -hmm. developed great partnerships with the community. And as we've grown, some of the things that, you know, we take the most pride in is just, we were there for that single mom that didn't have a babysitter for a kid, but she could keep her job because she could bring her kid and Faye would watch the kid while she worked. And, um, Given that youth an opportunity to get that first job who, you know, didn't have skill sets and we would mm -hmm. understand when he'd be late for work or when he would, you know, have that outbreak and, you know, walk off the job and we give him a chance to come back. We're not going to let you quit on life. You're not just quitting mm -hmm. your job. You quitting on life if you walk out of here. So come on back. You know, okay. Understanding the challenges. So, but to this day, one of the things that, we're most proud of is that we've been able to bring on a community outreach specialist and okay. Hazel does a great job with that. It's just going out in the community and finding partners that we can support good causes and needs mm -hmm. in our communities. And that's an area of, um, of uh, expertise that she you know, that that's an area of focus that she mm -hmm. just focuses on. How can I find community partners, people that we can partner with in the community that needs a hand up or needs a helping hand at times, whether that's food or sometimes it's monetary support. And most recently, right. uh, we started what we call the Rudge Rub Initiative. And um, when the pandemic hit, it was... Many small businesses, Black-owned businesses out there that didn't get access to capital, didn't get uh, any of the PPP money, federal money, local money at the state level, the local level, city, county, whatever. And mm -hmm. the practices, again, it wasn't blatant just say racism, but the systems were not designed to support and help small black owned businesses that I knew about. Okay. And I'll give you one example. There were banks out there that were booking and they were reaching out to their clients where they could do one application process and get it through and they could distribute $5 million. And these yeah. funds were guaranteed by SBA. So it was no risk if it didn't get paid back. And so they were out there, they meaning the bankers and the people within the banks to go out and get as many applications filled out and funded so that they can get that money on the books for the banks because their stockholders and shareholders benefited from that. And it was guaranteed money. So it wasn't right. that we don't care about you small black owned businesses out there or you small minority owned businesses out there, people of color. It's just that, I'd have to fill out an application for a hundred of you guys and it may not pass. You know, I may not get you all qualified when I can go after these major clients over here and I can do five of them and get the same amount of dollars in on the books. Okay. But anyway, knowing that there was just one particular business and that was struggling, had to close his doors due to no fault of his own. There was no revenue coming in. His own check for his personal business came through the sales from and the revenue from his business because he paid mm -hmm. himself. He's self-employed, business owner, but self-employed. So anyway, right. 
I became aware of this and we actually went and spent the next nine months of revenue that we thought we would spend with his business. Mm-hmm. We just wrote him a check for that oh. up front and say, when okay. you open your doors again, we will come and we will, you know, utilize the credits that we just created by advancing you this money. But also it just opened my eyes to there were so many others out there that were struggling. So DoorDash at this time wants to do a promotional campaign with these L's to help promote our business and drive more sales. And again, during this time, there were a lot of major companies, corporations, businesses out there that wanted to do their part and help minority owned businesses, black owned businesses, people of color and small businesses. And they selected these L's, DoorDash did, to be one of those that they wanted to help. And at this time, I was so aware of others that were so much more deserving and needing support that I asked, can we divert those funds to some of those businesses? So that led to coming up with the Rub Initiative. Now, when we were kids growing up back in East Texas, if you fell, hurt, skin, knee, whatever, headache, stomach ache, first thing the parents would do, grandparents would say, come on, son, let me rub that for you, right? And they just start rubbing. And just the touch of the hand rubbing would make the pain so much less. Okay. And so that became the acronym for the Rub Initiative, Raising Up Black Businesses. Put a little rub in the community. Let's see if we can make it it better, relieve some of the pain and suffering that's taken place by some so many of these small Black-owned businesses. And so when we launched the application process, we thought we may get 75 to 100 applications. It was well over 500 applications that came in. Wow. And now, was that just, where did those applications, from just the greater Seattle area, or were they coming in from all around? 90%, I would say, came from the Puget Sound region. Greater Northwest. And there were some that came in from Spokane, some that came in from uh, the Portland market where we have a location there. But primarily, the most of them were from the greater Puget Sound region. Wow. And what we learned through that was that not only, you know, was it important that the 20 grants that we gave out to the awardees was important, but we also learned that we could extend the support through consulting services, providing resources that they can uh, tap into to help further their businesses through, again, consulting, helping to structure your business and uh, mentors, finding programs where they provide mentorship for a lot of those businesses. But anyway, it was a huge opportunity for Ezels. But that, again, is a legacy piece. As we move forward long after, you know, the chicken is gone and Lewis and Faye and Darnell, the co-founders, and we want the Rub Initiative to be around, you know, and providing support for those businesses that are so deserving of it. And I'm on your website reading, and, and so you've you've got other partners, though. Cisco, Pepsi, and, and Bar Green Ellison's are, are helping with this project, Yes, correct? and the, the response was overwhelming when I reached out to some of the partners that Ezels currently have in Bar Greens. And I sat with Paul Paul Ellingson and right away he said, Lewis, this is huge and count me in. Call up Cisco, awesome. count me in. Food by count me in. And uh, Pepsi, count me in. And there's uh, 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 Land Can Builders, a Black-owned construction company here in Seattle. Lewis, count me in. You know, and the list just grew. And we hope to add future partners this year and uh, bring on more sponsors and partners that can help reach out to these deserving black owned businesses out there. Most are struggling due to challenges that been around for decades, if not centuries, access to capital, so you, lack of access to capital. So you, you, you issued 20 grants. Will you be issuing more? Is this going to be 20 on an annual basis or what does this look like moving moving forward? Well, we're right now in the process of uh, looking at, is it going to be another 20 grants or will it be 10 grants that are larger in amount? Okay. You know, and uh, we want to do what's going to be most impactful. 
in the community okay. and raising up those black businesses and providing coaching, consulting, mentorship, you know, it could come in many forms of support, but the main thing that we want to be able to do is raise them up and provide some relief. I think that's amazing. 1984, you started with one location. You have 17 today? 18 today. February 18. 7th, we open up number 18 in West Seattle. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What, for you, what does the future look like? How many, how many locations do you want to see the company grow to? You know, we started out with a vision to build a world-class brand. And uh, we wanted to do that. Our mission statement say by providing fresh, never frozen chicken, good homemade side dishes served up with fast, courteous service. And then we got this value statement that says honesty, loyalty, and relationships are our core values. And with that, we think that we have the opportunity to have a brand that's presented nationally, right? Now, will I be at the helm when that takes place? Probably not. However, I think, you know, building the platform for that to take place from is something Mm -hmm. that we're very close, if not there. And I'd love to see um, that take place, you know positioning the brand to go national before I step away from it. Okay. Some That's... growth partners will, you know, we're, we're, we've had many discussions and a, a couple of attempts to this day. And, uh, that continues. I, 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 I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, you know, I'm sure that over the last 38 years, everything has gone perfectly. There's never been a challenge. Everything I'm, no, you know, business is hard and it's fraught with challenges and false starts and dead ends. And we pick ourselves up and we keep going. And I, I love talking to, to business entrepreneurs and owners because the tenacity that you display is inspiring to me um, as a group of people. Thank you. Uh, and, 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 and I long pause there. Uh, so 18 locations, mm-hmm. more on the, I don't know if this is putting you on the spot, but more on the horizon. Like, is there going to be one over in Eastern Washington so that I don't have to drive over to Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we do have the one in Spokane currently in Eastern Washington. How do I not know about that? Because I, you hadn't talked to me yet. Oh my God. I should know, but I should know sure about everyone that. Everyone knows about that, that there is one on the East Hill in Spokane. The address is on the website. Get directions and tell all your friends. <laughs> but yes, there there I, will be more. On the how side. did I not know? That? And there are conversations <laughs> around, you know, the direction from here mm-hmm. to add additional. And uh, before the pandemic, there was serious discussions around developing a strategy for growth. And then, you know, given the impact of the pandemic and the situation, we decided the best thing to do was to, you know, hit the pause button. Sure. And um, it's always better to deal with the known. As we wrap this up, because I want to respect your time, when you're not working, what do you do for relaxation and fun? (laughs) Well, um, I really, really enjoy cycling. Okay. Yeah, that's one of my favorite passions or pastimes. I'm an avid roller skater. I love roller skating. Now, when you say roller skating, are we talking roller blades? Or are we talking roller, like the roller skates that I think rhythm, are four wheels? Rhythm dance skating. Okay. To the music with the quad. Yeah. Getting the beat. <laughs> yeah. So where where's a where's a where are roller rinks around the Seattle area now? Because it's been a long time since I've been in a well most of the know. skate kings, not most all of the skate kings are gone, but they have the one now is Patterson's West. Um that's in Federal Way. Federal Way, yeah. Yeah, and okay. that's the um most popular spot right now where people go and uh, get their skate on. Get their skate the Everett 
uh, rink is closing down. And then there's one in Marysville that's starting to pick up a little steam now where people are traveling as far as Marysville from the Seattle area to skate. Okay. And there's one that's down in uh, Portland and uh, Oaks Park. Now, that's a ways to yeah, go. Yeah, that's a ways to go. But people travel, believe it or not. I believe it. I believe it. I That's that's great. Yeah. I love that. So cycling or uh, what be a little more specific there. Just, just do you like to get out for an enjoyable bike ride or are you, are you competitive? Well, competitive with myself. So um, I've done 30 Seattle to Portland bike rides. 30 of, 30 them? of them, 25 in one day, 200 miles okay, in yep. one day. And then I've done five two day rides. I think it is. So did you, did you, did you celebrate the sale to Portland by going roller, roller skating afterwards? Well, or were you <laughs> a little tired? Well, I, there was one time when uh, I was skating, I think until maybe one thirty two in the morning. Uh-huh. And then I came home and got like a two and a half hour nap and was up at five 30 and on my bike heading down to Portland the next day. Did you make it in a day that time? Uh, that was the year that I did two day ride. I made okay. it to uh, right. Centralia, camped out overnight, and uh, got up the next day. And then um, uh-huh. I've always, for the last, I think since I turned 30, somewhere after 30, I started gifting myself a mile for each year that I've been blessed with on my birthday. So March 5th, rain, shine, sleet, or snow, I would get out and I'd ride the number of years on that oh. day. So last year I rode 66 um Point five miles, 66 and a half miles for my 66th birthday. This nice. year on March 5th, I got to find me a nice hill to come down to get seven, 67 in. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's a great, a great gift. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I, the, those of you that do the Seattle to Portland, I scratch my head. I just, I, I'm like, that would want well, I me mean, look at me. Uh, I'm a, I'm an indoor guy. I don't, I don't, uh, but I love, I love the, the saddle to Portland. I think it's an amazing, uh, I'll call it a race. I know it's not necessarily no, it's but, you not know, a race, it, it, but some people yeah. compete against their time last year. They compete against their friends or whatever, but it's just a fun, festive kind of event. And you see people right. of all ages. I can remember the one year, it was an 83-year-old gentleman finished wow. in one day. And the one year awesome. that the youngest kid on a single bike, I think, was like six years old that rode in two days. Yeah. What's your What's your best time? Your, against um, yourself? 10 hours. I finished 10 hours. average 20 miles per hour. That's crazy. So, and of course, there was time off the bike. I think we were off the bike for maybe one hour. So 11 hours total time, but 10 hours on the bike. Wow. Okay. Last question. Ago, well, okay. Two last questions. The last question I always ask my guests, and you didn't know this was coming, so I don't know what the answer is going to be. I love coffee. I mean, coffee is my thing. Do you drink coffee? Yes. I always have a couple of, cof- couple of cups of coffee. That's the first thing I put in my body when I wake up coffee it's a health food as far as i'm concerned where is a great place to get a cup of coffee in in your world where do you go i'll see that's a cop okay how about the time i get coffee it is it's home you know when i get coffee it's it's at home all right all right so then the last question is what didn't i ask you that we should have talked about you know honestly you've asked a lot of great questions and uh, given me an opportunity to talk about a wide spectrum of things that is important from a personal and business standpoint. So you didn't ask me what the weather's like, so I didn't get to tell you that we've got snow outside. <laughs> I have snow outside in my office and went at you today okay. too. And it's, it's, I am like, I do have one last question and this is going to be a hard one for you. Now, honest, this is going to be the hardest question. Okay. You can have one Last meal at Azell's. What are you picking? Man, today is the spicy breast 
potato salad, beans, and a slice of sweet potato pie. Okay. That was easy. I, I got that out of you easier than I thought I would. I thought you were going to like, well, you know, okay. No. All right. My, 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 my favorite things change over time. And so right now that's what it is. My goal. That's right now. Breast, slice of pie, beans, and potato salad. The potato salad's quite yeah. good. Any secrets in that potato salad that you're willing to share? Goodness. Freshness. I love it. I'd love it. So do you, do you guys, you're making that potato Real salad potatoes. fresh in in each location? Real potatoes. Each location prepares each menu item, each recipe from scratch every day. The potatoes get peeled every day at each location. The mac and cheese is made love fresh it. each location. The bread is baked fresh each location. The yams for the sweet potato pies are peeled at each location every day. I love it. Not the sweet potato yeah, pies. Mashed potatoes that's... and gravy. Made from scratch, each location every day. I'm driving to Spokane this week. I just, I'm just, I just, I have to. You're, you're, you're killing me. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to make this happen. I, I've enjoyed this a lot. I, please keep doing what you guys are doing. I love your chicken. I'm not Oprah, but you know, I love your chicken. And thank you so much. Well, you know, uh, Scott, you and the rest of the thousands of people that have experienced these L's and shared the word of how good it is and how it made you feel are equally important to us as Oprah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's only one Oprah, but there's thousands of you out there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.